Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Jones of all ages, welcome to the main event of the evening. It's Talking Joe with Chief and Steve. Oh, yo! Yo, Joe! He's lost his mind, ladies and gentlemen. Watch out, Chief is on the loose. <laughs> it's S Job 7, uh, holding the leash, yes. as it were. Yes, that's it, holding that leash. Hold it tight. The Chief Dog is on the loose, howling at the moon. Uh, well, actually at the sun, because it's daytime where I am. Um, how you been, sir? Amazing, Chief. I am pretty merry uh, once again. This is one of those podcasts. You know those uh, podcasts? Yeah, those yeah. podcasts. It's a Friday night in lovely Queensland where we're living in this fool's paradise. The rest of the world is in pandemic lockdown. I've just been at a pub with a bunch of doctors who have nothing better to do than spend all their many, many millions of monies. Right. <laughs> Disgusting. Okay. Here's this lonely, out-of-work actor, like, rubbing two notes together. And they're like, yep. I'm making it rain, baby. Yep. That's, yep. that's me. Uh, good stuff, good stuff. Um, what have I been doing? Um, played a bit more Last of Us 2. I Last I clocked in, I'm about 16 hours into the game. And the first one, I think, I think I was somewhere between 15 and 20 hours to complete the first one. And I, I'm now at the stage where something, not dramatic has happened, but now I've started playing as another character. Um, in the game and it looks like I will be playing as this other character for an extended period of time so I quickly google just to say how long is it and most places are saying uh, about 25 hours maybe 30 hours if you are trying to collect stuff so I might only be halfway through this game you're definitely gonna get your money's worth out of the last of us too my friend holy yeah but it is starting to drag a little bit in terms of, I don't know, wrapping the whole thing up. It feels like I'm at a point now where I'm, like I say, at the halfway stage, I'm going to have to do loads of stuff. Just almost, it's almost like a mirror. I've played one part of the game and now I'm almost mirroring stuff with another character. And I don't know, I'd, I'd rather now get to the end game, but we'll see how it goes. I, I, I'm enjoying it still, but we'll see how it goes. Chief, I'm experiencing some burnout as well. Uh, the term I've created, a monster, comes to mind because Kim is so hot and heavy with uh, Streets of Rage 4. Like, right. we cannot put it down. You know, she has had a string of day offs, days off, and yep. in every waking hour, if we're not eating or doing anything else, uh, <laughs> she's like, can we play Streets of Rage? And I'm like... I'm, I'm kind of over it. I mean, it's just really? more of the same, isn't it? That's the deal with a beat-em-up. Once you've kind of done it and you've tested yourself to to your limits, I mean, we've just reached a point where it's so difficult that I'm not enjoying myself anymore. Like, attempting the same level for the, I don't know, the dozenth time. So what's her, what's her MO then? What is it, in terms of continually playing it, is it 
just trying to get better scores, or is it I just... I think it's the ecstasy of defeating a particularly difficult boss or stage. And she's taken it on like a course of study now. She is researching it online, finding little secrets, little tricks, little tips. Oh, she's gone deep. Yeah, she's gone deep. And she, she's got a head full of nonsense because she's been watching like professional gamers play it. And of course, it's night and day, man. Those cats, yeah. they make a living doing this stuff. We yep. should never compare ourselves as a casual pick-up-and-play kind of gamer to the people who are sinking entire lifetimes into it. I mean, it's not a case of days, weeks, or months. This is what they do. So, you know, it's it's beautiful to watch them play and just chain these combos together and completely annihilate every opponent from the screen and get an S rating every time. It's yeah. wonderful, but, like, it's an unattainable dream. Yeah, <laughs> so, don't compare to that. We are literally just mashing our heads into the brick wall, like trying to, trying to take on this game on hardest skill level. Well, more power to you. Uh, do you have the stones to front up to her and say, listen, love, I'm done? <laughs> you know what? I still get some satisfaction, so we haven't reached that stage just yet. I'm, I'm wanting to see how, how deep this goes, man. When will right. she eventually grow, grow tired of it? I guess she's more of a... As it turns out, more of a diehard gamer than I've ever been. She right. was, I mean, okay, she was big into like the PlayStation 1 generation of games, but like since mobile gaming became a thing, that is how she wastes away her free time. You know, if she's not right. working or doing anything productive, she's literally just like on the mobile playing stupid yeah. like mobile games. At least this go. is a bet, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a better game than those. Those things are like yes. dime a dozen dime a million i mean they're just so many and so yeah. piss poor streets of rage is like beautifully designed game it's really exquisite so i'm getting yeah. value out of it in that sense but like good good oh, okay enough of that okay, we, okay we, yeah. let's get um, outside of steve's mind and inside some snickety snacks you know baby Potato chips, crisps, biscuits and candy Washing them down with a whiskey or a brandy Chewy sweets, cookies, built on jerky Snacks running fear because we got them at our mercy We're snackers, attackers Bad mother truckers and we're eating all the crackers Munchers, crunchers Knock out snacks like we're heavyweight punchers The snack police are in there, here's out Listen, I'm going first this week Ooh, he's excited, he's going first Watch out because everybody I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why I'm going first Because I've got a cup of tea up in the loft <laughs> in, my talking Joe, in my talking Joe mug And it's going a little bit cold And I want to dunk this snack into it uh, And this is a Prince Polo Classic XXL uh, Made by Olza um, I think this is <laughs> Polish maybe Or Czech, not sure But it's it's a big... For the UK-wise, it's a big, what we would term a, uh, we would dub a chocolate bar in the UK. Now, in that chocolate bar category, we would say things like Kit Kat, Mars, Snickers, you know. I don't, in, in America, I guess they'd call it a candy bar. But we would call it a chocolate bar in the UK. I'm busting this open. What's the grammage on this? Can't even see. There's a, oh, there you go, 50 grams. Actually, it's not, not, that, not over weighty, but it's a wafer. So what it is, I've opened it up. There you go, look, let's have a go. Yeah, so layers of wafer and chocolate. So kind of like a poor man's Kit Kat. Lovely. For but, those lean times. <laughs> but I want to dunk that in my tea. Excellent. Let's dunk it in. Mm, mm. Modified. Very good. I'm going on mute. 
<laughs> what, you're not going to give it a, a thumb upage? Oh, yeah. Um, one thumb up. One thumb up for this. And does it get an enhancement after being dunked? No, because the t- I've been in the loft. It's It's been in the loft for a while, and the chocolate itself has started to melt. So when <sighs> I dunked it in, too much of that chocolate melted off and is now floating in the top of my tea. Bloody hell. Good old blighty, eh? If it's not frigidly cold, it's too damn hot. Yeah, the quality of the chocolate is is not ideal. It's too thin. But um, what have you got, sir? Buddy, this has been a long time coming. I've been in Australia for, what, four months, five months? I lose track. But for the first time, it's Tim Tam time. <laughs> Are you familiar with Tim Tam's, Chief? Oh, wait, he's on mute. <laughs> no, I just came off mine. mute, yes. Um, <laughs> never heard of them. All right, they're by a Aussie brand called Arnott's. And uh, the caption is, there is no substitute. This masquerades Mm. as a biscuit, but really it's chocolate with like some biscuit in it. Laughably, Aussie's got a mandatory health star rating system on all consumables. Uh, You know, so you can gauge how healthy a... uh, any kind of snack is. I suppose it's of assistance to parents. It's of absolutely no assistance to destructive folk like myself, self-destructive yep. folk. Uh, <laughs> so you're normally working between, you know, maybe three stars, four stars, four okay. and a half stars if it's like an apple. Not that they give star ratings to apples. Should <laughs> yeah, that be a five well, star? Whatever. Oh, I, incidentally, roast chicken, rotisserie chicken is like four and a half stars. Boom. I don't know. I don't know about that. But anyways... Guess how many stars Tim Tams have? Ooh. How low can it go? Two. <laughs> Trick question. It has no stars, pal. It has yeah. 0.5 stars on the five-star Ouch. rating. Ouch. Yeah, buddy. This, this shit will kill you. That means flavor in abundance, I imagine. Pal, it's really just chocolate. It, as I say, it's, it, you can't really masquerade as a biscuit when it's completely covered with chocolate and it's layers of biscuit with chocolate in between. This is right. basically a chocolate. So it's going in the mouth and you expect it to be a really shitty chocolate, but yes, actually it's not bad. The biscuit is the right consistency texture and crunch it's not going to break your teeth and hurt your gums buddy it's just it's pure decadence is what it is all right wow Mm. yep yep yep. double thumbs up obesity and uh, diabetes on the way (laughs) (laughs) oh good stuff oh comic talk larry (laughs) hammer writes them chief and steve (laughs) (laughs) That's it, baby. Comic Talk with a Merry Steve. (laughs) It's Comic Talk, it's Comic Talk, baby. Chief and Steve discussing like crazy. Larry Harmer riding these bad boys, making sense of the wackiest toys. Listen as we talk about story arcs, making noise louder than junkyard box. Talking about character motivations and all the various G.I. Joe fun locations. Okay, we are covering this. That was two thumbs up, correct, for that uh, that Tim Tam? How can it not, Chief? Yeah, there you go. There you go. That's It'll kill you. But if you gotta go, <laughs> go with a smile. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. I, I still um, haven't watched it. I think... Uh, no, what did you quote last time? Back to the Future, and I didn't watch it, and now you're quoting Batman. So I've got to watch Dude, that if well. that's all it takes to set you on a homework mission, <laughs> this is too easy, mate. Yeah, too that's it. That's easy. it. 
Um, we are covering issues 203 and 204 of Real American Hero, and these are from June, July 2014. So pretty much dead on six years ago. Now then, cover for 203. There's two. There's the Larry Harmer uh, pencils, and then there's the one I'm looking at here with Zorana mashing up Mindbender with a big fake upper jaw and teeth. You had a good laugh about this last week. Chief, yeah. I see the humour, but man, oh man, what the hell's going on? <laughs> what is Gallant smoking? I There are various instances in these two issues that suggest to me that, like, no, really. They are literally challenging themselves to see what they can get away with. <laughs> yeah, but lo- lots more kind of comedy touches in these issues, I thought, especially the first one we're going to cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So is this a giant jaw that a dentist would have to demonstrate what a jaw looks like? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in any dentist I've been, they've never had these. But if they did, I would imagine that they were life-sized uh, and not massively <laughs> oversized. But, you know, and she's hit him so hard that some of these teeth have fallen out. With blood? Like realistic blood packs? What? What is going on, Chief? Yeah. Uh, what's this Larry Harmer penciled one? It looks like uh, a scene from the other part of the storyline in this issue with the guys in Oliastan. And judging from the cover, it is very difficult to determine who the actual uh, personnel are. Guys in the foreground have an AK-47 and a pistol. Guys in the background have suppressed weapons and like American weapons, like an M4 assault rifle. But the Joes themselves, okay, like... Muskrat wears a floppy hat, like a fisherman hat, but everything else on his uniform in that sketch, like, is something else. Like, and the other guy, I mean, I know we've seen Torpedo attired outside of his um, wetsuit, but, yeah. like, once again, he's got a knitted beanie. It could be version 2 Stalker. So it's really unclear who these guys are, but one thing that is clear is... You put a knife in your mouth, like a bayonet with blades on both sides. Yep. You're just asking for trouble, pal. You're going to get a, a smiley. You are. You are. You're the new <laughs> Joker in town. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know how I got these scars. <laughs> um, no, not falling for that. Two oh four. Was a. Two oh four. So the main cover I've got here is, it's an old friend of the show, Doctor Adele Burkhart. Maybe we should get her on for a guest spot. Uh, she seems to crop up quite a lot in these issues. And she's been helped by some Joes. <laughs> We'd have to fight it out with every other terrorist organization that seemed to have dibs on her yeah, head. Yeah, that's another tired trope that Larry <laughs> keeps using. But anyway, we'll come on to that when we dig into the issues. And then we see, who is it, Long Range on the deck with a, a, a cobra coiled around him about to strike, which doesn't actually happen in the issue. No doubt. High drama, man. This looks like bad times for G.I. Joe. Yeah. And man, Adele Burkhardt looks dead sexy. <laughs> Typical like golden age Hollywood femme fatale with a yeah. torn skirt, plunging neckline. Yeah. I mean, back in the 80s, she looked like an old woman. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> lots, of, lots of Botox and plastic surgery. Now, I'll tell you what I like. The, fine uh, wine, this, pal. The, fine wine. This, uh, <laughs> this uh, Larry Hammer penciled retailer incentive cover. That looks really cool. I've only got the small inset, but it looks like a good one. Wouldn't be able to tell you. I don't even have a blow up of that. Damn it. Okay, Damn it. so it looks ca- like I've got... You catch me unawares. Looks like, Well, I'll post it up. It looks like... I don't know. Is it long range? Someone's got the sniper rifle, but it looks like they've got a baseball cap on backwards, which wouldn't be long range. And then someone's kind of pointing towards a target. 
I'll see if I can find that on the interwebs and post it up on the social media. And then there's another one. There's a retailer exclusive cover, and this is a Jamie Tyndall kind of sexed up Baroness cover. Bit too much for me, but you know if that floats She's your boat. She's been cropping up a lot, hasn't she, Chief? Yeah, yeah. Like when all else fails, sex sells. Just go That's with it. Baroness. That's it. Everybody loves bad candy and leather. Yeah, you know, you know. Um, let's dig into the meat here, and before we do that, we will need to find out. Last time on a real American hero, treachery is afoot as Cobra Commander injures Road Pig and captures Zarana, Zartan's sister, in order to manipulate the Master of Disguise into doing his bidding. The assignment? To assassinate and bring Cobra Commander the head of Destro! But after squaring off against the Baroness, Zartan is at the mercy of Destro. But the two villains come to a compromise that should trick Cobra Commander and get them what they want. Chief, yeah? didn't Zartan want in on Cobra? He did, most recently in fact, a few issues back. Totally. Hops off his motorcycle while Cobra Commander's busy selling off Broker Beach to those mobsters. Or tycoons, whatever yep. they were. Yep. And uh, he's like, I want in. I want full Cobra Command uh, responsibility and rank. Like, why does Cobra Commander need leverage over a man who has said, I want a part of Cobra? You know, I want a slice of the pie. Yeah. It's that little detail that went nowhere and now has been contradicted that kind of irks me, man. Yeah, I'm with you there. You know, mm. Larry spinning a lot of plates and maybe some of them have fallen off and he's forgot to put them back on. <laughs> Side note, this takes place in Sacramento, right? Yes. Do you know what Americans call Sacramento? Um, the No, the something state. I don't know what it is. <laughs> North American colloquialism coming up. Ballsack. Do they? <laughs> Ballsack. Yeah. Did you know Sacramento is the capital of California? Yes, I did. Oh, damn it, man. Well, okay, you're a... You're a you're a sports fanatic, aren't you? What are they? The, the Sacramento Suns? Something like Sacramento that? Sacramento Kings in NBA. Damn! I don't know shit, yeah, buddy. Phoenix Suns. Gotcha. Uh, so why is it Bullsack? Because it's Sacramento. I don't know. Right, it's, okay. it's simple like that. Right. Heading on down to Bullsack. Uh, yeah. Heading on down to Bullsack. Who do you think, panel two, page one, who do you think scribbled on Zorana's cast? Uh, get stuffed. <laughs> hope you drop dead hit here hmm. <sighs> well it seems like dr mindbender is like the MacGuffin doctor he creates bats he administers novocaine <laughs> he puts people in costs he's just the kind of uh wears all hats kind of doctors i don't know maybe he's a comedian as well yeah yeah we learn at the end of the next issue that he wears even more hats should i should i reveal yeah, yeah of course we're covering both these issues yeah do it it seems like he's a he's a, f- a football coach. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a picture with all the Freds. It's hilarious. I mean, it's obviously played for laughs. It's the last page, isn't it? Last yeah. page. It's discovered in Fred's office or something that he played in the Springfield team. Of course, the entire team looked like Crimson Guard Freds. Yep. <laughs> and the coach is wearing a monocle and has a moustache. Yes. So come on, come on. This is Wendy, who's a new character, and she's she's running... I don't know what position she's running for, but anyway, she says, um, oh, I see by this photo that you played high school football in Rancho Cobra in Northern California. <laughs> and uh, like you said, the whole team, which led me to think, how long has Rancho Cobra been going? Because that must be 
20 years plus back for this Fred series Crimson Guardsman. So Rancho Cobra, I thought that was a new invention, but they kind of Larry's given breadcrumbs that Rancho Cobra had been around for 25 years or something. Hey, bro, the world will fall apart without sport. Come on. Yeah. We're living in a lockdown, and the thing that is most pressing on everyone's minds is how do we get back into the stadiums? Yeah. <laughs> So I guess it was a priority that as soon as they, they got into Rancho Corbra, they, they got their, their local team up and running. Yeah, no, I but I thought, I, I, thought, I thought Rancho Corbra was a, a made-up um, place founded by Cobra Commander. But sure. are, are, we, are yeah. we led to believe that it was an actual real place and then Cobra just used that as one of its headquarters? Huh. Does that make sense Very or not? Very good question. Yeah, no, no. Did Rancho Cobra exist before Cobra yeah. left Broker Beach and moved into this gated community? I'm going to put my cards on the table and say no, simply because Cobra loves their anagrams. <laughs> yeah. So the naming convention is what tips me off. It's like, yeah. no, Cobra bought this property and kind of prepped it for their eventual move. Yeah, but this would have you know. been, you know, 20, 25 years ago. Because obviously they're saying he did that in high school. Let's I don't know. Let's put this guy at forty. So you know he was probably twenty twenty five years ago when he was in this team along with other Fred. So Crimson, you know, we're dating the CGs twenty twenty five years that they've been in operation. At this point, I'd like to quote Lieutenant Worf from Star Trek: yes. The Next Generation. There is the theory of the Mobius. A twist in the fabric of space where time becomes a loop. <laughs> Chief, we are stuck in the Mobius yes. right now. Yes, there are. G.I. Joe, a real American hero, is a never ending figure of eight, an yep. infinity loop. It's kind of the same with every comic book franchise as well, isn't it? You know, Spider Man has been going since, what, 1963, and clearly Peter Parker still looks similar-ish age to five years after he debuted so time moves very differently things got interesting for a time though chief things got interesting he did marry mary jane yeah yeah like and that's kind of where i know we'll never get to in spider-man's cinematic outings because they keep deciding that of course the most exciting time for spidey will always be those like awkward adolescent coming of age times yeah, 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 we'll never yeah. get past that. There's probably more examples, but there's only one that I know of, of comic book characters that age in real time, and that is Judge Dredd in 2000 AD. So that is time stamped and dated on each prog, each issue that comes out uh, in oh, real nice. time. So when it debuted in 1977, Dredd is now whatever 43 years older than he was when he first debuted so that 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 comic strip that comic strip yeah runs in real time shit does that slow him down at all or does he use is he using some kind of performance enhancement yeah well there's obviously um the know, future uh, science has has taken a, a big leap in whatever year it is in dread to to enable longevity of life especially for those in the the privileges of the judge society but um yeah <laughs> have they ever tried putting him behind a desk <laughs> uh, i think I mean, that's surely a plot point it's like yeah. judge you are one of our oldest serving and best judges it's time to, to get the gun out of your your, your holster yeah, and yeah. i'm about to embark on a complete judge dread reread so i'll probably start that this weekend from prog one up to whatever 
prog is out this week some like so it's over 2000 i think it's maybe 2200 issues <laughs> i was about to say when do you start releasing the podcast but uh <laughs> shit buddy they would be here for a while yeah um let's i'm getting back to gi joe and yes. a question here early on Cobra Commander in Mufti is confusing, mixing up some of the threads, which at the time just felt like a a little bit in the issue that, you know, just showing you how many different series threads there are. But it actually does come back to have a relevant plot point with Destro involved later on. So I didn't think any of it, anything of it at the time, but it does play a part. But he says, I thought you were a Fred 172. And he says, I'm a Fred 191, same series. So how many different series of Fred were there, do we think? Maybe there's a method to this. Or maybe it's just to mystify us all. I'd be curious to ask Larry how he keeps track of these guys. I mean, the G.I. Joe roster be damned. Trying to keep track of guys with identical faces and who just have like, like series numbers. Yeah. Hot damn, man. God damn. Yeah. He says he's a Fred 191, same series as the Fred 172. So, I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to say maybe there's five or six different Fred series. No, because we saw Fred because when like the Freds were initially Fred 1, Fred 2, Fred 3, Fred 4, they were all from the same series but just four iterations of Fred. I don't know. I'm getting confused. Mm. I'm moving on straight away. um we also see numbers we also see for the first time more of cobra commander's face than we've ever seen before so the panel next to the one where zartan is showing him destro's mask and if you recall destro cut a deal with zartan he's not going to give him his head he's just going to take his mask destro willingly gave it to zartan now zartan is presenting this to cobra commander in the hopes of getting his sister back the panel opposite, we see Cobra Commander normally with the beret moustache and shades on, but here we can see that he's got kind of like his glasses are tinted uh, depending on what kind of light source there is. And here we actually see a really good look at his face. Yeah, see beyond the glasses into the eyes. Yes, for the first time ever, I Which think. Which is nothing new, I guess, since, you know, in his rag face appearance, we always see his eyes. But here we get to see, you know, bone structure, nose, yeah. mouth, the moustache. <laughs> Luigi, we have to save a princess Toadstool <laughs> <Yeah>. once again. <laughs> Very much, yeah, good one. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit, now I've got to play Mario. <laughs> no. Which um, one, Chief? Ah, uh, well, I, I have, I'm looking at Super Mario Galaxy, which is a really, really good game, mm-hmm. and I did want to get Galaxy Two on the Wii or Wii U, whatever it was. But if I'm going proper retro. Uh, I was never massively into the N64 one. I think I preferred Super Mario 3, I think it was. Oh, yes. Oh, that is a beautiful game. Yeah. Really. Super Mario 3 for the Nintendo Entertainment System. It's it's pure class, man. Yeah. Perfect Mario game. No, absolutely. I'm with you there, pal. Zartan, it seems, has two exact versions of his same outfit. Or maybe he's even got more. Maybe he's just an off-the-rack man where, you know, he's got in his in his wardrobe, in his closet, at home, in his shack. He's got, like, cave, ten brother. different outfits, all the same, because he's wearing one, but also Destro's wearing one, being disguised as Zartan, and then Zartan is uh, wearing one within a holographic image of the Fred series, 191, oh, when he assassinates. Love that reveal with the gun smoke yeah. coming off the silencer. Jeez, that's cool. Yeah, Zartan yeah. is depicted very well. Well done, Mr. Gallant. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. He's dropped the Batman cowl that he had on last issue. <laughs> but yeah, he does seem to have multiple uh, outfits. But look, Destro is the man. He's he's once again a kind of Deus Ex Machina character because he has unlimited d- means at his disposal, and his seeming omnipotence just showcases how much of a buffoon Cobra Commander is. Yeah. To be completely duped and outsmarted by Destro at this point, it's no wonder we had the majority of our listenership, or respondents at least, last episode, say that they'd rather be in the Iron Grenadier Legion than Cobra or Joe. And that's because Destro just holds all the cards. Yeah. Can you imagine? Absolutely indomitable. Can you imagine what Cobra could have done if Destro was at the helm? You know? Well, there'd be a bloody toilet in the pit rigged up to C4. And the second Hawk did something Cobra didn't like, kaboom, that's it. Yeah. Leadership wiped out. Like, this level of infiltration into Cobra's organization from Destro, it's it's frightening. And it's like, come on, CC, how did you get to this point? How did you become the leader of a fanatical group of, like, terrorists or, or people who would lay down their lives for you and be able to have people yep. usurp you like this like ah jeez yep just feels like he's dropped his guard big time he must be he should be one of the most careful and and well protected people on the planet in order to operate at the level that he does you know in domestic united states of america yeah. this dangerous man Yep. And yet to be so careless. He's too out and about there and up front, isn't he? He should be this he should be sending loyal goons to do this kind of stuff. But what we do need is we do need someone who's into customs to make a, a Zartan with a Destro head. Because <laughs> that's a good look. Well, surely it should be very easy. Yeah. Uh maybe there's a slightly different gauge to their heads, but I do know that, you know, Zartan being an eighty four figure and Destro being an eighty three figure, this is before the ball jointed head was introduced. Right. So they are both on like a kind of a straight swivel. Yes. So maybe the maybe the heads are interchangeable. Maybe, maybe. Yep. I don't know. Yep. But certainly it would be child's play with the modern figure. Yes. All those things just pop right onto a, a ball joint. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And um, you know, like you said, we've seen the comedy bit there with uh, Cobra Commander's personal uh, toilet uh, rigged up with C4 to blow up and then all of a sudden it gets pretty dark on the next page because Zorana off she goes and then Cobra Commander's left on his own and in comes Road Pig let's just say that your punishment will be biblical or jeepers as in an eye for an eye and then Road Pig says in your case it's going to be a leg for a leg which one first right or left and it's like holy ball sacks holy sacramentos this is um gonna get ugly chief what was the point of this entire subplot <laughs> other than to show like how indomitable destro is and how gratuitous this can be that like if you want to badly enough you can take on cobra's like elite like like number one yeah cobra commands number one guy and beat him within an inch of his life yep. if that was the case Surely this guy would have been kneecapped decades ago. Correct. I know I'm laboring the points, Chief, but like, what was the point of this subplot? Come on, man. Yeah, it didn't really do much, did it? And, and other than bring a lot of big name characters together for some kind of high-powered scenes and subterfuge and stuff like that. But overall... A high-powered scene that just establishes the pecking order as like, yeah, amongst all these guys, Cobra Commander is at the bottom of the yeah, pile. Yeah, unfortunately so. <laughs> 
And also what confused me a little bit is, listen, the, the Joes are monitoring this from the pit via satellite cameras and everything that you know they've they've hacked in to the security cams and this is also becoming a little bit of a larry harmer trope all of a sudden the joes can pretty much do anything they're able to hack into anything they're able to bypass anything we see it again i think in the next issue where they look up one of the local one of the bad guys radios and they say oh look we've got the make and model we can tune into that exact frequency so we can monitor Mm. their their communications they seem to just it's just deus ex machinas everywhere nowadays but what my point was they're monitoring all this live they've got a base now in san francisco which i'm not sure how far that is from sacramento but surely the opportunity to go here and arrest cobra commander what why aren't they doing that why aren't they trying to capture cobra commander because he's a buffoon (laughs) clearly they're happy with him in charge Ah, I don't know, man. This is this is once again the Chris McCloud lament, isn't it? But like, just spinning out of your point, if GI Joe has unlimited intelligence gathering abilities, and they can hack into enemy radios in other countries, shouldn't they have uh, taken a little bit more interest in uh, the whereabouts of Doctor Adele Burkhart? Yes, yes. This is a point that I'm going to come on to, and it's going to probably be my major takeaway from these issues and 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 something that that i need to actually debate with you on chief but like let me just say at the outset that i'm not trying to be down on these issues i just know that gi joe can be better yep and there's a perfect example of this that will be gracing your ear canals on the 10th of august (laughs) let me say Yes. But right now we're stuck in a little bit of a, a second gear of mediocrity. Yeah, yeah. We do get we do get another Larry Harmerism. Play that jingle. I'm hearing the same things over and over again. It's like we're trapped, incarcerated, locked down in a bind, stuck in a prism. Hey, what you talking about, Chief? It's just a Larry Harmerism. What? Yeah, because uh, our guys over in Aliastan doing the rescue off of Adele Burkhart and I think it's Muskrat who says saves me a bullet let's Charlie Mike bro continue mission <laughs> hey nice I'm not familiar with long yeah. range this is my first exposure to the character hmm. uh, he looks Don't a little bit an like issue in I think the 80s of the G.I. Joe run called Thunderclap oh is he the driver of the Thunderclap yes oh same guy well I am familiar with him then I thought this was a different character he's been recast as a team sniper yes which is perhaps this long range's design uh, absorbing the role of uh, long range from the Sigma 6 cartoon series right. and subsequent comic book and obviously toy line who was completely different designed guy who was a um, Latinx Hey, I got to use that for the first time. That's the politically correct term for a Latina or Latina because it's non-binary gender. Ah, Latinx. Hey, there you go. Talking Joe will teach you stuff. Boom. (laughs) There you go. Knowledge is power, kids. So he was this kind of trench coat wearing uh, slick back hair dude in Sigma 6. But they've dialed it back to his classic A-Royal look. But he's armed with a sniper rifle. And it does extend his use because, let's face it, artillery in G.I. Joe, kind of the only thing that would come out when you're like crazy balls to the wall invasion force, like full on military team with armor, with air support, with artillery, all that jazz. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's nice to see long range in the field. I'm not going to dispute that. 
it's quite possible that he could be a dab hand with a, a long gun yeah. as well as a big gun. <laughs> his his look, especially the the page, the panel bottom left where he's kind of almost screwing a silencer on the end of his sniper rifle, has very much of a Battle Force 2000 look to him, the, the kind of helmet and all that jazz. Damn right, brother. Yeah. Uh, the toy had a few fewer paint apps, sadly. I'd love those optics to actually be picked out in green. But yeah, he definitely did have uh, one eyepiece yeah. and then various other optics on the helmet. He looks like something from... Do you remember Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future? No. Oh, too bad. Okay. <laughs> something that came on TV in South Africa in the, the early 90s. Right. It was actually from 1987 in the States. Okay. We got it a little bit late. But what was so fun about it was it was uh, dubbed into Afrikaans. Uh, right, nice, <laughs> nice. If you wanted to watch the or listen to the English track, you'd have to tune in your radio. Yeah. Wow. It's called Simulcast. Okay, that's interesting. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, man. Well, courtesy of a country with more than one official language. <laughs> What are you going to do? You should have seen watching me watching uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in Isitrosa. <laughs> right, yes, yes. That was a trip. Very cool. Our guys here, our Joes here, are in Oliestan, as we mentioned. They're on a rescue ops. Um, someone's been taken hostage. We don't know who it is yet in the pages. Obviously, we'll flip to the end of the issue and we'll find out that it is Adele Burkhart. But fairly violent stuff here. Uh, is it Torpedo here who you know throws a knife right through a guy's neck? With a thook, mm-hmm. plenty of plenty of blood on the end of the knife. I mean, we're not we're not scrimping on the violence in these IDW issues of late. Seems like it's GI Joe does uh, well. What was quite popular in cinema at the time, you know. Obviously, Hollywood had caught up with nine eleven and uh, the Osama bin Laden capture and Saddam Hussein. It's very much that flavor of very realistic. After Dark, Navy SEALs action. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, most yeah. definitely, most definitely. Well, maybe it doesn't really happen in this issue. It happens in the next, as has been happening in many Joe missions of late. Things go foobar, uh, things go wrong, and the Joes are in a world of trouble. I mean, it's nice to have the Joes not always having the upper hand, but what we, we've had recently is the Joes always being on the wrong end of the stick. Which is another trope that I think Hollywood was reflecting at the time. I mean, do you remember Lone Survivor with good old Marky Mark? Yeah, yeah, that's a good film, actually. You liked it? Yeah, yeah. I remember thinking it was damn good when I watched it for the first time. I haven't watched it subsequent to that. Uh, another example is Rambo. The yeah. fourth Rambo film was a similar like, team that goes on a mission... And the rest of the film is really them just evading, getting whittled down, being pursued by a vast force. Yeah. Until Rambo gets behind a 50 cal and bangs away until <laughs> the enemy is a fine red mist. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. We get the, this issue closes out with something we've seen before back in the 30s after the All Fall Down arc where Fred and Firefly and Destro go to assault Snake Eyes in the cabin and uh, Fred ends up dying, and then there's a replacement. Fred turns up at the house. The same thing happens here. So one of the Freds has been killed in that uh, Cobra Commander Zartan Destro scene, and now a replacement Fred has been sent to the family's house for the, the wife and daughter to kind of just take in. You must be Chloe and Zoe. Oh, my God, he looks exactly like... No, that's not my dad. Don't worry, I'll grow on you after a while. 
<laughs> but knowing what comes next, because I can actually remember reading this for the first time. I haven't, I swear, listeners, I have not peered into the future. But I think this is the best part of the issue. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay. It's the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what is what is f- hilarious to note, though, is um, we see Budo for the second time. He was a, a nice Easter egg at the end of the previous issue. Yep. Not not the previous issue, the 201 issue, the kind of like um, reactivation of the various Correct. Joe bases. Yep. When you see him in that base, the, the sort of the Fran- San Francisco base, he's cleaning it and he's insisting everyone take their shoes off. Yes. What is he doing in this uh, issue? He's once again cleaning the floors. So if you are the G.I. Joe Samurai, what is your function? (laughs) Floor cleaner. (laughs) Clean the damn dojo. Yeah, basically, there you go. I mean, yeah. it's it's tough to 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 draw a sam a guy with a samurai swords running around on a battlefield. Yeah, yeah. So rather just keep him in the dojo, scrubbing the mats. <laughs> and call back to other another character. So re- remembering way back, there was uh, the guy Tyrone, who befriended the blind master, and then for a time after the blind master had been killed by Zartan, Zartan impersonates the blind master. And I think last we saw Tyrone, weren't they infiltrating Cobra Island? With Tyrone? I'm sure Tyrone was there, wasn't he, or not? Maybe not. No, maybe oh, not. Good question. I don't know. I, I thought Tyrone kind of disappeared into obscurity after Zartan yeah. adopted no, you're the right. blind master's it was Billy, actually. Uh, identity. Zartan was like, yeah, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. That's right. And he's walking arm in arm with Tyrone. Yeah. Of course, I'm sure that tutelage didn't really amount to much. No. Zartan's a pretty flighty dude. But here we've got... Tyrone's younger brother and what's interesting here as the issue closes out we're and again I, th- this might be naivety on my part because I wasn't aware this was the case but it's it's heavily inferred that Budo is part of the Arashikage clan there is a letter in a future letters page dealing with this right okay yeah man the letters page on issue 206 okay I'm refers skipping forward. back to this I'm skipping do it forward. buddy uh the the writer wanted to know, is Budo an Orochikage? Harmer answers by saying that uh, the answers are in future issues. Okay. And he didn't want to spoil anything. Do you smell a rat or do you think that Larry's being legit and that it was all part of the plan that Budo is Orochikage? No, I don't think it was part of the plan. <laughs> I think that the, the letter, <laughs> the letter has spurred there. Larry on to, you know, kind of redux it a little bit it's convoluted continuity eh? yeah and it's all his that is the scary thing there's one man helming this um interestingly in this issue we just covered there's a letter and again it's our man matthew cashel who do you remember in the last <laughs> issue he wrote asking for more death how can i forget so well look at least he's answered the call and he has written in because in an age of digital where physical mail doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Like, I don't know if letters pages thrive. No. But look, uh, I'll applaud him for his persistence, but let's hear what he has to say. Yeah. Come on. So let's, let's just uh, recap. What did he say last time? He said, I'd like more deaths or something like that, didn't he? Uh, yeah. Could I humbly request more casualties, please? Yeah. Here's what he says one month later. Hi, Larry. I have a request for two selfish wishes. Number one, casualties with emotional resonance. Okay, so he's back on that. Number two, post-2000 Hasbro designs that might appeal to the toy community, plus teens that grew up on that underrated era of Joe. Any plans for either request? 
in the previous issue, we had the night attack helicopter. That's a post-2000 design. And in terms of casualties, okay, apart from... I guess what he's getting at is he wants named Joe characters that have an action figure to be casualties. Yeah. Because clearly he doesn't add any kind of weight to an ephemeral character that appears only in the pages of G.I. Joe. Because if he did, surely his bloodlust would be sated. Yeah. Well, anyway, Larry responds and says, on the point of casualties with emotional resonance, uh, he says, Dear Matthew, number one, there's no other way. And about Mm -hmm. the uh, vehicles or designs that might appeal to the toy community, maybe. And uh, there's the responses. (laughs) It's kind of up to the artist, isn't it? Yeah. Like, any time they're in the pit, there's an opportunity to shoehorn something in yeah but let's face it like nothing in the post 2000s era can replace a tomahawk sadly of course not you know like in terms of the function design and just the cool factor would i rather see anything else the answer is no yeah always (laughs) sorry let's crack on with this next one then um i've not really got many notes for this one it's there's a few interesting points in the issue do you want to weigh in with you know your feelings you you feel like you might want to debate maybe yeah maybe instead of getting into the nitty-gritty of this escape and evasion with dr burkhardt uh and the blow by blows chief we can just sit back and talk a little bit about this woman and her career yeah (laughs) (laughs) she has by my account been abducted by violent factions insurgents terrorist groups criminal groups at least four times in the pages of gi joe yeah cobra the red shadows some kind of soviet outfit now these ollie stan machine gun toting farmers whatever they are (laughs) it appears to me that she should be a person of interest for the united states anyway but if we dial back the clocks a little bit further there was a time when she was called Lady Doomsday. Yeah, man. Because the secrets rattling around in her little brain would reshape the lines of power in the world. She had literally doomsday weapons in her busty innards. What, did, yep. what is it that C-3PO says? Dusty uh, innards. Yes. Something like that. Yes. I always thought he said busty innards, but looking at that plunging neckline on the cover, busty innards sounds... Just about right. There you go. Why are they not keeping tabs on this woman? Why is she being allowed to move unfettered in this world? That's not how the world works. It wasn't how the world works even in a pre-9-11 world. Nowadays, hell's bells, man. Yeah, she's always getting into japes and scrapes, and it always seems to be G.I. Joe who are the ones getting her out. And you know it's a it's a ever repeating cycle there doesn't seem to be any lessons learned here at all from anyone involved it's an opportunity to make the speech that stalker makes so well in walk through the jungle or through yeah that we're not risking her because we think that she's correct we're risking her because she has the right to think whatever she wants to think about the military about us you know that's what a democracy is all about yeah. And Lifeline makes the same point. It's a good point to make, and uh, it's all very fitting that Lifeline is playing the stalker role because he is actually a pacifist working inside of a very effective combat unit. So, you know, by virtue of being very effective, they are very violent, very efficient. So, like, he must have ethical gray areas that he treads on every day he puts on the uniform. But with Burkhardt's, 
I'm thinking to myself, when she's being told that torpedo and long range are gonna like waste 40 or so machine gun toting Olistanis in order to cover their withdrawal, I'm thinking in her mind, a woman who's like, I don't want senseless violence, I don't want loss of life. In her mind, I would say her clearest course of action is to somehow give away the Joe's location. Somehow get herself killed and the Joe's killed because losing five lives is surely preferable to a massacre of like 40 or more. And let's not lose sight of the fact that they are in their sovereign territory. Like in this instance, G.I. Joe and even Adele Burkhardt, they are the invaders. They are the eight Londoners. They are the, I don't know, the, the bad guy in this situation. Yeah. They're the aggressors. Yeah. What do you say to all that, Chief? Sorry, man, I'm hogging the mic, but that's what really struck me on this issue. It's all good stuff. And yeah, she must know as well when she's going into these scenarios of, of helping these impoverished or needy people or tribes or or different sects of of people that she's trying to help she must know that at some point she's probably or likely percentage-wise says going to get into trouble and need some kind of extraction and she probably knows that it's going to be the joes having to do it and she's going to have to go through the same emotions and dialogue with the joes every single time you know it's interesting when that that conversation between lifeline and rock and roll in the tomahawk Mm. and I don't know if rock and roll's got a more simplistic view, but um, he says we're basically defending her right to be against everything we're for, and that's when you, as you mentioned, Lifeline's yeah. like, no, we're defending the rights of an Ameri- of all Americans to have and hold their diverse views. It's not up to us to decide which view prevails. That's decided on election day. Democracy is messy, but that's its beauty. So, I don't know, rock mm. and roll comes off as a little bit of a very maybe basic uninformed character here i'm not sure because where he says we're basically defending her right to be against everything we're for i don't think she's against everything the joes are for because the joes are effectively an anti-terrorist peacekeeping force which i'm sure adele burkhart is for she she probably is very much anti-terrorist and peacekeeping so it's not everything they're against it's just the means the how-tos and wherefores of how that is achieved that she's against, not the ideals. Things were so much easier when all G.I. Joe did was go after the sort of black hat baddies that were Cobra. You know, Cobra is that typical amorphous, cultish, evil empire. It's right up there with the Nazis. It's just like, they're despicably bad. We need to eradicate them from the earth. But here they are invading a sovereign state, ostensibly to get back a American hostage. But they didn't know that going in. Okay, it was a surprise to them that they discovered Burkhart. Yeah, which is a surprise to us as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they actually didn't know who this hostage was. They just were, you know, they were Charlie Miking. They were <laughs> in a mission, and 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 the kind of the scenario is being built around that. But like, if you think about what GI Joe is doing. To begin with, they're they're doing something very aggressive and kind of something that steps outside of their usual ethical black and whiteness. Yeah, you know this isn't the the modus operandi of GI Joe versus Cobra. This is something else. This is GI Joe taking on missions that actually 
I don't know. Not not within their job description, to be honest. No. I mean, the action... In, I'm just actually looking at... I was just going to say, the action is pretty good. There's lots of intrigue in terms of tactics on display sure. from both sides. Love that. Uh, really, really nicely done, all that stuff. I'm looking actually now at a page of one of the one of the bad guys... And or you know who are the bad guys? I probably shouldn't say bad guys because in the eyes of the indigenous people here, the Joes are the bad guys. But one of the one of the rebels or whoever they are, and he's got the biggest handheld telephone I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Look, I think that's the circa World War Two field radio, isn't it? It is ginormous. Is this the one that they hack into, like previously mentioned? Yeah, yeah. and they get the frequency so they can <laughs> yeah, big time. Yeah, know the movements, but um. You know, some pretty harsh tactics here. The drone comes in and drops uh, one of these dispersal bombs, which later on they say they kind of had reduced the munitions to be not as harmful. But in that bottom page where they're just dropping all the bombs with the wham, 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 it looks like it's tearing these guys to shreds. (laughs) Reduced the lethality. Jeez. What was it uh, heading out with? Uh, Tactical news? Exactly. I mean, like, it looks like it's pretty much uh, effectively wiped out this force. And they're pretty exposed. I guess these all are adult concerns in what should be a toy book. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, this should be like a like video game logic. Like, you have NPCs that you need to take out. They're just targets that will kill you if you don't kill them. Yeah. But, like, I don't know, man. G.I. Joe and Larry has always spoken with such ethical depth that I've been educated through that to now bring into question the ethics of these self-same actions. Yeah. And it makes it a difficult read for me. It's not just toys being smashed together. Here I'm identifying actual people. I mean, are they inherently evil? Have they sworn their allegiance to evil ways? No, man. Like, there's even hints of of uh, devoutness to a religion in these pages. Yeah. And like... Damn, this is this is getting kind of controversial. Look at yeah, that. yeah. And um, this this storyline is obviously going to carry on into the next issue. But as we've previously mentioned, this issue rounds out with. So we've seen kind of two Freds doing stuff here. One replacing the the Fred who died and reintegrating with the family, and then here's the other Fred that we saw in the last issue. And turns out that he is uh, helping this Wendy Ling Torres with her campaign and you know like we said previously he's in this revealed as a, a fred from many years standing but also he where, where's he going to work here there's a couple of pages in the middle of this issue and he's gone to the airport and air propistan 506 you are cleared on runway 42 he's got your dream job of being an atc guy yeah yeah but nothing nothing else really <laughs> comes of that we see him in his role is that just to show that CGs are integrated even, you know, into every facet of society. Hey, bro, some scary shit, man. Yeah. Uh, you remember Die Hard with a Vengeance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do not mess with the guy setting the, the hard deck. Oh, no, that's di- not Die Hard with a Vengeance, that's Die Hard 2. Die yeah. Harder. That's it. Yeah, yeah. that's it. He, oh, sets it. he sets it 200 feet below the deck, doesn't he, and it crashes. Brutal. Wow. There you go. So, I mean, it's scary, scary to think that... The bad guys are infiltrated. I mean, like, politics, yeah, who gives a damn? <laughs> you know, yeah. politicians are a mess anyways. But uh, do not mess with the guy guiding the bloody aircraft into the, 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 the runway on a rainy day. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, chaos. 
I don't think we're going to yo-jo this one because this is in the middle of a storyline. So maybe we'll, if we can find a good breaking point, we will do that. But next week we will be covering issues, what will it be, 205 and 206. So stay tuned mm. for that. Anything else to say about these issues or are we going into Toy Talk? Page 11, little uh, Easter egg, which is what tips me off to the fact that like within the art chores, uh, Galant's having some fun on the covers um, and Larry's having some fun just uh, kind of shouting out his pals, I guess. Maybe they were on a panel. But uh, there's a shout-out that Alpine gives. We have to make it five clicks across this plateau to the LZ, which is where an odd dogleg of the Prupistan border juts into Alistan as it follows the Bozigian River to Radatistan. <laughs> Within that one bubble of text, we've got uh, references to Bob Prupus and Kirk Bozigian, who are both uh, Hasbro marketing guys, yep. and Ron Rudat, who was a designer, toy yeah. designer, artist. Mm. And Oli Stan, I don't know who that's in reference to, but I'm sure it is. So uh, listeners, please let me know on the right. socials. Uh, okay, yeah, and of course, when you this Prupus Stan, that's where the Fred... Is redirecting a flight, um, Prupistan. Ah, the so. Prupistan Air Force or, or uh, airliner. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's Very coming good. in. Very good. Cool, cool. Um, more comics next week, but now it is time to talk about toys. Steve talks about toys, ho, ho. Steve talks about G.I. Joe. He talks about all the toys from the comic book and the animated show. Steve talks about toys. Steve talks about toys. Steve talks about toys. Steve talks about toys. So, what do you think I got for you, Chief? Uh, I want to say the thunderclap. <laughs> very good. Yeah? Very, very good. Yes, of course. Yeah. Thunderclap with long range from 1989. Very cool. Feast your eyes on that 3D Joe's spinning image, my friend. Did you have this as a kid? Oh, yes. Well... Can I say I had it as a kid? I got it for my 14th birthday. Okay, because I've seen it on your shelf in, in uh, that <laughs> YouTube video where you're presenting your collection. I've seen it on the shelf there, and uh, I didn't know when you got it. So you're saying 14th birthday, right? But I can assure you, I was still very much a fan of taking my toys out and doing battle in the garden. Friends of mine, my two closest mates, one of whom is a member of G.I. Joburg, I think we probably stopped actually meeting up and playing with G.I. Joe toys <laughs> well into our mid-twenties. Yes. So I've got an extremely long history with the stuff and a great cross-section of how I played, which is why it's a, it's a question that I'm so fascinated in, because for me, there were so many different stages. You know, the early stage of like just getting acquainted with the toys and the mythology, the sort of the middle stage where it was all about like doing battle with groups of other friends. And then there was the kind of the advanced late teen, early 20s stage where we created our own mythologies. And like the character building and the sort of the role-playing elements were quickly surpassing the more, I suppose, visceral action parts. Yeah. But of course, that was an important component as well. You know, we were becoming more and more informed by first-person shooters. Of course, yeah. But uh, about the thunderclap, I will just read the box back blurb. With Cobra cluster bombs exploding all around, Thunderclap's cannon positions its barrel for a long-range retaliatory strike. 
The vehicle's two tracked scout craft separate from the main body to attack Cobra's forward observation target spotters. And about long range, he has a file card. Now, I couldn't find his Action Force file card, but that's the file card of his that I have at home because I have a, a UK uh, Thunderclap. Right. I cannot, for the life of me, remember, but I think he might be from Cardiff. He might be a Welshman. Okay, which interesting. Which is also hilarious because, <laughs> because he's got red hair and a fiery red beard. Yep. Yeah, love that. That's well. I suppose that's more of a Scott trait, but yeah, oh, man, there's some Welshies with big red beards too, right? I'm sure. I'm sure there is. <laughs> Long range thunderclap driver. File name Fritz Carl W. Primary military specialty thunderclap driver. Secondary military specialty artillery. Birthplace Warwick, Rhode Island. Oh dear, he's a Rhode Island Joe. That's incidentally where Hasbro's headquarters are. Right. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> no coincidence there. His grade is E7. Long range was a kid that never grasped simple arithmetic. He did, however, manage complex trigonometric and calculus problems with ease. When he was old enough, long range joined the army. In particular, the artillery corps. It was there that he utilized his trigonometric capabilities to plot the trajectory of artillery shells aimed at long-distance targets. In no time, he amassed the highest percentage rate of on-target knockouts the corps had ever seen. Oh, he works for the corps? Okay. That is why he is commonly referred to as the Knockout Man. All right. Oh. <laughs> Damn, he's lost his his handle, dude. They should they should work that into the pages of this comic book. Definitely. Yo, long range, my knockout man. <laughs> <laughs> long range can drop around on a dinner plate at a range of fifteen miles in one attempt, given an accurate topographical map and an up to the minute wind and barometric pressure readings. Whoa! In layman's terms, that means he can fire around from the outfield of the Giants Stadium in New Jersey, Meadowlands, and it will land directly on second base in Shea Stadium in Flushing, New York. Incredible. Unfortunately, the rub here comes in the fact that I do not have the Action Force file card, i.e. my original file card to hand, because in addition to his nationality being, I think, Welsh, there was references to him firing it into the goal mouth at Wembley Stadium. Right. Okay. Is that a soccer stadium? Wembley. Yeah, that's the national yeah. stadium in, in oh, London. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, in England. Whew. Well, yeah, basically they changed the, very cleverly, obviously, to, to kind of give local readers an idea of the distance and the accuracy that this guy can operate in. They make, they sort of resituate them to uh, London uh, Stadia. Right, nice. Which is cool, which is clever, which is something that I really, really took stock of when playing with this incredible toy back home. Like, he could basically fire a shell from the front garden and drop it right on the Cobra base on the other side of the house in the backyard. The Thunderclap was just the hand of God, man. This thing could just obliterate you from orbit, basically. Yeah, it's a great looking vehicle. <laughs> like the good old pulse weapon. And it's got some fun features. In addition to the fact that it's got disconnecting front and back scout cars which in and of itself is ingenious because then you get to use those vehicles as your armored assault something that i think i got more playtime out of than the actual artillery piece because it's just far more fun to roll tanks around than to fire off shells from the you know from the rear with the gear yeah yeah the cannon itself extends to a fabulous length it's probably the biggest gun gi joe ever produced uh, in toy form 
and you can place four of the include well one of the four included shells into a chamber and just like a bolt action rifle you can ram the chamber closed and then pull it back open and the shell will eject which is brilliant i mean nothing fires out of the end but the having the orange shell just kind of eject out of the the cannon just gives you an idea it kind of grounds it and gives you an idea of the realism of this thing and also the immediate danger of operating as a loader in the back of the bloody thunderclap because if that hot shell spills out and hits your guy damn man casualty yeah <laughs> long range himself has a removable gray helmet we spoke a little bit about the optic so his one eye is obscured yes. i guess the idea was to assist him in his calculations and his targeting because the thunderclap itself has a chair on the gun essentially you can operate this gun by riding the cannon <laughs> which is a ludicrous way of doing things and i don't think harmer used it because in the pages of its debut in the comic books long range fires the gun from the cab of the front um the tow vehicle right yes but i mean you have the option of putting him on the gun which is, as i say is ludicrous but whatever yeah. it's gi joe right they have missiles strapped to everything how much recoil you get off that <laughs> definitely shake your fillings yeah. loose yeah, the gun itself, because of its um, separate unit's nature, it deploys like these uh, leveling legs and it can spin on its own base. So it has fabulous amounts of, of, of motion to it and it's got a ratcheted system uh, so the cannon itself will lock into position. And very sturdily at that, I mean, it, I think it ratchets on three different points. Uh, sorry, six different points, so three on each end. Um, so to this day, my very played with Thunderclap can still hold every single elevation position. Nice. Which is wonderful. It's got missiles strapped to everything, of course. <laughs> you know, three on the main body, three on each scout vehicle. It's got big old cannons uh, to cover its flanks. The scout vehicles have twin cannon on top of their roofs. And they're great fun. The one has a removable engine cover. Fabulous detail for like a secondary component. Long Range himself comes with a very easily misplaced and small black pistol. Thankfully, I kept mine very safe inside the cab of the, the front vehicle. Yeah, clever. So it, it never went missing. But it is a great piece. Kind of reminds me a little bit of um, the Terminator's 45 with the laser sight oh, right. on top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got yeah. a kind of a... It's got a scoped device on top of the gun which huh, i don't know to my mind i'm like okay this means that basically his gun is long range because he needs this big old scope to kind of sight it yeah but laughably it's a pistol you know if they if they wanted to play up his his sniper i suppose subspecialty could have given him a sniper rifle but who knew chief who knew that's right back in 89 Love this toy, man. Really, it, it became my go-to G.I. Joe base. I never had any of the bases like the Mobile Command Center or the 1983 HQ Defiant Launch Complex or the Flag, to name a few. So this was a large enough vehicle and it kind of had a stationary enough mode for it to be my staging area and convoy at the same time. So the idea of a mobile base was always something that was so very uh, appealing to me. And it was always kind of something that the enemy would assault. And, you know, G.I. Joe would have to mount up and move out. And they kind of move through a canyon made by couches. And uh, Cobra would be up top on the canyon walls, firing down. 
It was a do or die situation, man. Yeah, kind of like cool. what the Joes are up to in these issues. Yeah. I think that's all I have to say about that, no, Chief. That no, that's quality. It's definitely a vehicle that would have improved my playtime, I think. I've never seen one in the flesh, so let alone owned one. Um, ben never had it. Similar to you, we did, we never had any of the large bases, um, so we kind of used the Rolling Thunder as... Oh yeah, you know the, oh, it's, that's a good one, brother. The main, the main vehicle, but I think this thunderclap is um, equally as good, and maybe a little bit more interesting, just because of the, you know, the stationary element and the different little cabs that come off. So you know, very, very cool, very, very cool vehicle. Did you ever dig out the big old missiles and just use the interior as like an APC? Good question. I don't believe so. Okay. Well, I mean, there have been fantastic customs that have kind of basically turned the Rolling Thunder into, you're going to love this, the APC from Aliens. Oh, wicked. Yeah, man. So it's got seating, it's got computer consoles, it's got like places where you can stash weaponry, you know, kind of lock it, uh, lock your gear in place. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, in fact, there have been fantastic customs where they've gotten the Rolling Thunder to transform into Optimus Prime. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> but I've just kicked you an image of the Atomic Annie, which is what yeah. which is what the Thunderclap is based upon. Yeah, yeah. It's got a tractor vehicle and a tow vehicle, and it is a big old gun. And guess what that gun used for ammunition? Go on. Well, the intended use was atomic weapons oh wow <laughs> this is a cannon that was supposed to spit nukes crazy wow. that man. is crazy crazy the engines of destruction that this world has had that have then been translated into toys for small children to play with yeah mad <laughs> mad um great stuff more toy talk next week see if chief can keep his streak of guessing going i think i reset last week because i fumbled around zartan so i'm on a one streak see if i can make it up to two next week but um we'll see uh where do we go from here oh yeah we need to confuse some people it's time for commonwealth colloquialisms aka over egg in the pudding we got a pudding we got a pudding we're gonna over egg that pudding ain't got no criticisms we got some Commonwealth colloquialisms. Anytime I'm out to dinner with an Australian, and that happens fairly often in Australia, I always ask them what their favourite Aussie colloquialism is. Tonight, the winner is Ocker. Ocker. Yeah. O-C-K-E-R. No Googling, Chief. No, I never Google. Ocker. <laughs> Fancy going out for an ocker? No. Um, hey, look at that ocker. No. If you use it in a sentence, will they give it away? Oh, that fella's an ocker. Um, uh, that fella's an ocker. I'm sorry, mate. I'm not making this very easy. I mean, you always ask for it in a sentence. And I'm like, how do I split the diff, mate? How do I, how do I split the diff? How do I give it away? <laughs> Because I might as well just tell you the answer then. Yeah, do it. But an an ochre is... Well, Google jives with what I was told at dinner. But what I was told, word of mouth, is that ochre refers to a certain way of speaking that is very rough and very Aussie and very laden with slang. 
As I say, according to Google, the term ochre is used both as a noun and adjective for an Australian who speaks and acts in a rough, uncultivated manner using broad Australian accent or strine. Damn it, I just gave away another slang, didn't I? The typical <laughs> ochre is usually found in a blue singlet and rubber thongs with a tinny in his hand propping up a bar. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You get the accent for free. I do, yes. There you go. I guess in the UK, you know, that w- would be what we would call... Well, I don't know. I won't give it away. I think Ben might have given it away on the last... On the episode 80, but um, I'll save that one. I'll save that one. But... <laughs> well, in South Africa, we'd call them oaks. Right, Like okay. an oak. Yeah, that's come up before. Yeah. Oh, the oaks are cheating me, bro. <laughs> I'm going to flip and move you guys. I swear. I'm gonna come, don't, don't make me come over there, okay? <laughs> there you go. Cool, cool. Uh, so, my one is... I think I mentioned this last week. Uh, not well, that's useless the, then, Chief. Come on, man. Not as a colloquialism, but um, <laughs> if I said I had a... Bags um, of sand. A bag of sand, what would I have? Oh, that'd be grand, brother. Yeah. yeah. So normally mm-hmm. used in reference to monetary value. Yeah, your so, stamp duty. That's like 10 large. That's yeah. 10 bags of sand, brother. 10 bags of or sand. More. Yeah, 10 grand. So that is uh, Cockney rhyming slang. Well, uh, that was very simple. Are you keeping it simple for your next one? Saffa style. If I was to tell you, Brew, that is so kiff. What would I be talking about? Kiff? Is that, is that a good thing or bad thing? Have we had this one before or not? I don't know. Oh, no, have we? Well, yet again, yet, yet again, Chief promises and never delivers. I think I said I was doing a spreadsheet <laughs> to contain... Well, then the listeners can be shouting into the radio right now if they've heard it before because they got one over on you, Chief. Yeah. Kiff means cool, rad, excellent. Okay. Like, it's kind of an old school term. It kind of comes from that era as far as I'm concerned. Like, it comes from the 80s when you found all those uh, synonyms for good, like rad, yeah. sweet, yeah. awesome, radical... Tubular is something that Americans say, but yeah. wicked sounds naff, man. Wicked, yeah, okay, nice. So, GIF is the South African edition yeah. to that pantheon. Very good, very good. But now, Chief, that's that's enough confusion. Uh, it's time to round up the show with. We don't have a question for the listeners because I think we arranged something on the last episode. Chief was going to watch Kill Bill, and Steve was going to ask him about it because now Steve is going to ask Chief about it. <laughs> One tick to Tokyo, please. One more. That woman deserves her revenge. And we deserve to die. No kidding, I heard it was kind of hard. Silly Caucasian girl likes to play with samurai swords. Yeah. Oh. Any more subordinates for me to kill? Chief, if I have to call up Letterboxd, 
<laughs> now put me out of my misery. What did you give it out of five, brother? Uh, I think I, I think, I think I'm possibly going to upgrade volume two. I gave, uh, I gave them both three point five, but I think I can maybe upgrade volume two to a four. Mm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not okay. sure. I'm not sure yet. You liked the second movie more than the I first. I much preferred it to the first. Yeah, preferred it to the, not much preferred it to the first. That's not fair. But I definitely preferred the second to the first. Interesting. Okay, why? Because is it that, has. Is that be, not commonplace or? Just because it is such a departure from the first that you're stuck in a weird gear for some time. I know I was. Right. Granted, it's the film with the higher emotional content. Whereas the first is gratuitously satisfying. It's like, whoa, okay, shit. Uh, I need to kind of gird my loins because, like, if you don't have the stomach for violence, uh, the first movie is going to be something that you want to walk out on. Yes. And, and huh, my sister and her boyfriend at the time, they actually walked out of that film. Right. They were like, this is not what we were in for. Like, we know Tarantino writes a violent flick. And he doesn't shy away from violence and bloodshed. But this is just Too much. totally gratuitous. I mean, like, body parts, a sea of blood, like, the crazy 88s just flailing around, yeah. <laughs> moaning, carved to pieces. Yeah, dude, it's, it's hard as hell. But the second is a total departure from that, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think what I... And again, this this might just be the chief sensibilities for you know everything in terms of storytelling you know i've mentioned it before about video games that i'm not really into the sandbox games i prefer a linear storyline and i think the second volume was definitely much more of a linear path and arc whereas the first one felt a little bit bitty and a bit fragmented to me okay between the two what is the kind of a high watermark what chapter really Buzzes your berries, mate. <laughs> um, I really like the bit, and this is nothing really new. You know, it's and obviously Tarantino, massive film aficionado, and um, uh, a film buff of multiple genres, and it, it kind of shows in the style and the different things he's doing in these movies. But you know, really like the bits where she goes to Japan to acquire the sword in the first movie, and I like the bit in the second one where she goes to see, what's the guy, what's the Chinese guy's name? Pai, Pai Gao? Pai Mei. Pai Gay? Pai Mei. Pai Gay, yeah. Pai Mei. Pai Mei, sorry. Is my mic level still really quiet in your ears, Your mic is really quiet in my ears, yes, yes. Um, But yeah, where she goes to train with him, and that's, that training sequence is nothing new. We've seen that in, in hundreds of movies over the years, both Western and Asian movies. But I still, still, you know, the, the hard-pressed student and the tough master. But, you know, I kind of like that scene. Um, everything with Bud, Look, I, what, thought, I thought was cool. What is wonderful about Tarantino is, yes, he's referencing the hell out of his enormous depth of, like, cinematic uh, fodder. But he is dusting these genres off all within the same films to present them to an otherwise ignorant audience. And I count myself in that number. Like, I am not replete with the same kind of reference material that he has. No. None of us are. That's what makes him so damn good, is because he can repackage this stuff. Yeah. Take 
pluck the best moments from like cinema of a bygone era, the stuff that he absolutely reveled in as a child and as a as a young professional, and present it to a modern audience. And all of a sudden, we're like, this is incredible. Kill Bill is a film that like attempts so many genres and even succeeds in in paying them adequate lip service, which is why it came as such a su- surprise to me. I was like, what? This is the guy that only ever does one thing at a time. When he makes a crime movie, he makes a crime movie. When he makes a movie about vampires, he makes a movie about vampires. Yeah. When he makes a movie about, like, uh, I don't know, what else did had he done up to that point? Basically, well, that's crime. what surprised me, because this was actually his fourth movie, and I um, would have put it much later in his career. But, you know, it was still early on in his career, really. Oh, yeah as I say, ambitious. And he's never looked back since. I mean, like, his filmography... It's crazy, dude. Uh, and this is something that you and Ben touched on previously, that um, the tenth film is coming up and it's billed as his last. And it's one of those moments where, like, he's never gotten a, a best picture. No. And is this is this going to be a kind of a nominal uh, award victory? Yes. Or or is he going to get some kind of lifetime achievement award? I don't know. Maybe it's too early for that even. Maybe this is something that yeah. you give a filmmaker when they can't produce any more critically acclaimed work, yeah. not yeah. when they declare that they're not going to. <laughs> yeah, there's no question that he's inspired a, a whole trove of, of creators and directors and producers and writers out there um, off the back of his movie. So, you know, fair play. I think initially Tarantino... When he burst onto the scene, his stuff wasn't really my cup of tea. It didn't really jive with me. But now, older, maturer, and much more appreciation for his work. So, yeah, I think this might have put some people off this movie, not in terms of the the, the graphical violence, but in terms of the fact that it is parodying other genres. And there is, even though it is hyper-violent, there is some Asian silliness to the violence, like, you know, standing on people's swords and doing crazy backflips and all this kind of stuff that we've seen in Asian cinema, but Western audiences weren't really introduced to until like maybe Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon came across. <laughs> that was kind of the first of the Wests, a Western-made film for a Western audience, but had all those tropes of Asian cinema. And so I, I think maybe a lot of people who went to see this were expecting a very straight-up, hard-boiled Tarantino movie and potentially when they got something a slightly off the beaten track or different or twisted I you know I remember hearing a lot of people at the time who saw it just said what is this rubbish all about why is why is there so much comedy and all this different styles in it they didn't get it I don't think they got it so yep if you're not familiar with Hong Kong cinema watching the bride break dance you know doing a windmill while carving up bad guy's limbs is going to jaw. It's definitely going to jaw. But uh, it's got some pretty heavy emotional impact. I still remember, you know, dialing the clocks back and going back to that that first experience in the cinema and getting the reveal of Beatrix's child, her daughter. Yeah, wow. And that being a very disarming moment. I was like, whoa. This tough-as-nails character has been defeated by her offspring and we did not see that coming maybe maybe in hindsight i would have maybe if i watched it today as a cynical jaded like i've seen it all before kind of film watcher i would have seen that coming but i'd like to think no i'd like to think that moment would still have 
been just as impactful. Yeah, yeah. And comic book nerds everywhere love good old Dave Carradine's speech about Superman's alter ego yeah. being Clark Kent. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. he is Superman. It's a great cast, man. Really, really. You know, you can say that I get about any Tarantino movie. His his casting is supreme. And you've got some big hitters in this movie. And everyone is just, you, you can picture them in that role. So, you know, great job there. Oh, my God. L Driver actress's name from daryl hannah daryl hannah thank you quentin for dusting her off because she was fantastic i mean to go from what everyone remembers her for as being this splash coquettish beautiful little mermaid basically to being this badass bitch with a like an eye patch and a syringe full of like death juice i mean oh brother great stuff yeah, I love the way that she's def- ultimately defeated, you know, wow. simply by losing her her one good eye. Brilliant. Hardcore. Stumbling around there with a venomous snake. I mean, so, hello. Bad news. Yeah. Could it have been done in one movie as opposed to two, do you think? And trimmed an hour off? But they're so different, aren't they? I don't know. Like, I was so taken aback by this changing of pace. Maybe it's just because I had matured a little bit in the interim. You know, these films came out when I was still a fairly young man. And I found Kill Bill Volume 2 to be a completely different experience. Right. Very much more sentimental. Whereas Kill Bill Volume 1, you quickly are plunged into this world of of supreme violence and retribution. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's just because of the, 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 the family moment at the end of Kill Bill Volume 2 that was so unexpected and put it in you know on its own plateau. But like, Beatrix... And Bill and BB having sandwiches together is so weird. Yeah. And so Tarantino. After what you've already seen previously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun fact, do you know how Dave Carradine met his end? No. (laughs) It wasn't the five finger, uh, (laughs) what's it called? Heart explode. Five pressure point heart exploding technique. Yeah, that's it. Whatever, something like that. Do you know how he met his end? Uh, I'll tell you how. Auto erotic asphyxiation. Oh dear. Yeah, man. The guy liked to choke himself out. There you go. There you go. They, they say they say it's incredible, but uh, not not something I'm likely to flirt yeah, with. Not not for the chief dog. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, on that note. Good. On that note. Um, great stuff. Great stuff. Fun fact episode as always. Thanks to our guests. Oh no, no guests this time. It's just me and you. Uh, <laughs> thanks to me and SJub7 for giving you the oral pleasure as we do every week. You can catch us in all the usual places. That's talking underscore Joe on Twitter, talking Joe Comics on Instagram, talking Joe Comics at gmail.com, and talking Joe, a GI Joe podcast on Facebook. Uh, where can the fine people find your work, sir? GI Joeberg. But that's not important because in 10 minutes' time, Chief. Hasbro is revealing on their Fan fan Friday platform or hashtag what the heck the damn retro collection is. Okay, this is timestamping this episode. Yes, it is Friday evening in Queensland, uh, Friday morning in the United States. And we're about to find out what the retro collection is. Oh, interesting. I hope images. It's Where do time. I send me a link? Where do I need to, what do I need to Google to find, find this information? Oh, Chiefy, I will send you a link as soon as we uh, click off that little red circle button and uh, sign off from titillating the listeners. (laughs) With all that said and done, we'll catch you down the road. We're talking Joe. 
and we're all out of Joes. Bye, guys. See ya. Yo, Joe! Yo, Joe!